Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is wonderful to once again spend some time with you, and I'd like to begin by saying a big thank you to little Jonathan for leading us this morning, for being our MC, as well as to Carissa and Calvin for leading us in worship, and for big Jono for leading us in communion. And so before we get in, I'd just like to open in a word of prayer, and as we pray, uh, we might write our hearts to hear from the Lord today as he opens his word to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we are reminded through communion about the greatness of your love and about the greatness of your sacrifice. I pray that we will always be reminded and never take for granted the grace that has been bestowed upon us in Jesus Christ, how the sacrifice on the cross that cleansed us from our sin, the conquering of death as he rose from the dead, that now enabled us a means by which we could be made right with you. I pray, Lord, that we will never get tired of hearing the sheer beauty of your person, that we will never grow cold to the love that has drawn us into your family, and that we will never become apathetic to the call that you've placed on each of our lives. Father, as we look into your word today, I thank you for the honor and privilege you have granted me to be able to share the truth from your word, and I pray that I will be your mouthpiece this morning to be able to communicate the, the wonderful scriptures that you have placed upon my heart, but more importantly, Lord, that you would take those scriptures and impress upon us the sheer preciousness and the sheer privilege we have been granted to be known as the sons and daughters of the living God. So, Father, reveal yourself to us now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So last week, we were looking at the church. We were looking at the ecclesia. We were looking at the gathering, the assembly that has been created through faith in Jesus Christ. And that the church is not a building. The church is not a geographical location. But the church is you. And that the church is unique. The church is the gathering and that we have been set apart because he has redeemed us, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. He has redeemed us from the empty way of life handed down through our ancestors and that we were purchased with the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish or defect. This emphasized the first of many beautiful truths of which we'll look at several more today, but the first of many beautiful truths about the church of Jesus Christ. And that is firstly, as we touched on last week, the church is the most precious assembly on earth since the Lord Jesus purchased it with his own blood. One of the first verses that came to mind as I looked at this beautiful truth and the value that we have and the value by which God views us was in Romans chapter 8, verses 31b and 32. It says this, If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, He, as in God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? That's a wonderful, a wonderful passage because the value which with God the Father, the value with which God the Father views us as his creation 
is evident by the price he gave, the price of his son's life, to not only redeem us, but also to bestow upon us all things in Christ. And we looked at this as we went through the book of Colossians. We are told that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. We are told that we now have and to walk in a newness of life, as we are told in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. And we have a new citizenship in which we belong to God's household in Ephesians 2.19. And those are just three things of so many that we, as the ecclesia, have been granted in the person of Christ. This is what we have as the church, because we, as his precious assembly, uh, I guess you could say, is an opening to these other truths that are evident in our existence as the ecclesia, as the people of God. And we're going to look at several of those today for the purpose of encouraging our hearts, for the purpose of stirring us to beyond, sorry, for stirring us beyond just existing. To stir us to be about living, not for ourselves, but for him who loved us and gave himself for us. So we're going to look at several things. And prayerfully, this will be an encouragement to you as we look together as to what the scriptures have to teach. Here's the first one. The church is the earthly expression of a heavenly reality. The church is an earthly expression of a heavenly reality. Now, for want of a better illustration, this is an illustration that is, that is flawed, I admit, but prayerfully you get the idea. You can tell what I look like or how I'm feeling or the emotions that are going through my mind inwardly by my facial expressions outwardly. You can tell that I'm happy because smile on my face. Hey, what's up? You can tell I'm sad by the frown that may be on my face. You can tell that I'm deep in thought or just looking like I'm hungry by the look of thoughtfulness on my face. Or maybe not. Maybe it's just a look of confusion. But you have an indication of what's going on internally by the expression that is taking place outwardly. So too is the church, so too is the ecclesia, so too is the assembly of God as an earthly expression of a heavenly reality. That as the people look at us as the people of God, they are to see the reality of God through us because God through us is being lived out. For example, one is, say, unity. The unity of what takes place in heaven between the Godhead, between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, is to be demonstrated amongst us as the people of God, as the body of Christ. Have you noticed, and this has happened to me, where you have just been sitting there and, I don't know, your knee, sometimes maybe it's just because of my age, but your knee just starts to twitch by, its, by itself. Just starts twitching. My left knee often does that, and I don't know what that is, but my knee just starts to twitch. And automatically I'm thinking there's something wrong with my knee because my knee's acting of its own accord. Now, 
We are, called, we are called the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, we are to work in perfect unison with the head, who is Jesus Christ. We can't be off twitching off ourselves or do anything like that. No, because that heavenly reality of perfect unity starts within heaven and is expressed through us as his body. We see this evident in John chapter 17, as we looked at a prayer meeting, thank you, Jono, for that illustration. But Jono shared this passage of scripture from John 17 as the Lord Jesus prayed his high priestly prayer, looking at verses 21 through to 23. And we read this. So this heavenly, sorry, earthly expression of a heavenly reality is that of unity. John 17 says that all of them, meaning Jesus praying for us, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be, sorry, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. That the unity amongst the saints as the people of God is the earthly expression of the unity, the one-mindedness, the devotedness, the devotion to each other, the support to each other of the Godhead, of God the Father, of God the Son, and of God the Holy Spirit. That that same unity, that unity of mind, that unity of essence, that unity of heart, that unity of purpose, that unity of goal is evident as we are united in him for the same purpose, for the same goal, which is for the glory of God. We are the, hev- the earthly expression of a heavenly reality. Not only in unity, but also that of God's sovereignty, that he is the king of ages, that he is the immortal, that he is the invisible, that he is the only wise God almighty to whom nothing can compare. That he is in charge, the great I am who is the creator of heaven and earth. And as he rules sovereignly in this universe, he rules sovereignly in his church. Not only does he rule sovereignly in this universe and in his church, but over all creation, things that are seen and things that are unseen, things that are above the earth, things that are on earth, things that are below the earth. He is and will evermore be sovereign in complete control. And we as the church have the privilege to represent that sovereignty as we are ruled by him the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we read of such sovereignty in Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The earth is the Lord's. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 21 through 23 says this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He, God, sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. 
He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. Earlier on in that chapter of chapter 40, we distinctly see these three words, that God is sovereign. And his sovereignty is not dependent upon what you think or what I think or what anybody else thinks. He is sovereign, end of story. He is sovereign, I rest my case. And irrespective of what you think or what I think does not change that biblical fact. Thus, the church is to be the earthly expression of the sovereignty of God, just as well as we are the earthly expression of the unity of God. And the third thing, like I said, I'm only looking at three, and the third thing is the earthly expression of what we are is that of God's love. The reality of God's love is expressed every moment of every day with every breath of life that is taken by everybody on this planet, whether you acknowledge it or don't, whether you know God or don't, whether you know who Jesus Christ is or don't. You are the recipient of God's grace because you have been given the opportunity to have a knowledge of who God is. With every sunrise that greets you, with every sunset that bids you good night, you are bestowed upon you the goodness and the love and the grace of God with every breath that is taken. We read this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, when the Lord Jesus says that he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, so and on the good, and he sends rain on the just. And on the unjust. That is on one side, the, the general goodness, the general love of God that is expressed to all humanity. And then you have that same love expressed in the giving of Jesus Christ. That on the other side, people have the opportunity to have their sin forgiven, to have their offenses against God dealt with. That the Lord Jesus, who, as we've spoken about week after week after week after week, how he, God, adorned himself in human flesh. How he suffered brutally for crimes and for offenses against God that he did not himself commit. That he died on my behalf because I offended God, not him. Because I sinned against God, not him. Because I am guilty before God, not him. And yet he, in his love for me, died and paid the price for my sin by dying on the cross. And on the cross where he took upon my sin, he became sin for me. And then as he died and taking my sin to the grave, I am given the opportunity through faith in him to have my sin forgiven. And that when he rose from the dead, I'm told that I have the opportunity to rise with him also. And that as he ascended to the, to the Father to be seated at the right hand of God on high, I have him who ever pleads my case on my behalf, who advocates for me before God the Father for my offenses even now and my wrongdoings even now. He, by, by sheer, his sheer love for me, died for me to make me a new creation. 
that he died on the cross for my sins so that I can have my sin forgiven. I mean, Galatians chapter 1, I think verse 3 and 4, yes, yeah, says that, that Christ died for my sin. Now, why do I share all this? Well, it's because the church is the earthly expression of God's love for the world. That where acceptance is to take place should be within the church. That where love, unconditional love, takes place should be within the church. Within the church, it should be where the greatest expression of God's love is demonstrated, not only to the people within the church, but from the church towards the people without so that they know that God is real because of your love for one another and your love for them. You love others because God loves them. You accept others because God accepts them on, on his terms, not on theirs. On his terms, not on theirs. Which means coming to him through Jesus Christ. The church is to be that reality. The church is to be a taste of heaven, a place of perfect unity, a place where God rules sovereignty, and a place where people are loved unconditionally with divine, perfect love. The church should be the, should be the place where we have the freedom to be who we are because that is exactly how God sees us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, as we looked at last week, that even at my worst, Christ is still died for me, so that I might be made new. The church is to be that heavenly reality of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe that's Matthew 6, verse 10. It is God's will. It is God's will that, that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Second um, Peter 3, 9. It is God's will that love covers a multitude of sins. It talks about in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. It is God's will that we are accepted in the beloved. This is why the church, the ecclesia, the assembly of God's people is to be the earthly expression of a heavenly reality because the world will see us shining the reality of who God is. It's like I shared before, Ravi Zacharias, who says that one of the greatest apologetics, one of the greatest answers to the reality of God's existence is to be the church. The love that saints have for one another and then the love that saints have for those that are lost. That's a wonderful privilege that you and I have as the children of God. So that's the first one. The, 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 well, I'll take you to the second one. The, the third one, the church is the only institution that the Lord has promised to build and to bless. I think this is a beautiful truth. I guess I could call this, this the, the, the beautiful truths of the church. The church is the only institution that the Lord has promised to build and to bless. And this is something that you and I need to be continually reminded of. In Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus asks, who do men say that I am? Or some say you're one of the prophets. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say you're, this, you know, some say you're Jeremiah. 
Then he says, who do you say that I am? Which Peter triumphantly responds, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus' response to him in verse 17 says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. Now in verse 18, it's a very important point. And he says, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, not meaning Peter. He's not saying on Peter I will build. No, he's saying on this rock, on the truth that you just confessed, on the truth that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. He says on that truth, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Think about that for a second. Have you ever tried to build something and failed miserably? I remember trying to make a cart once, a little billy cart for my kids. It was terrible. It was a complete failure. I remember Nathaniel riding down the road and a wheel falling off. I tried to fix it. He goes down the road and the thing just fell apart. So we gave up and we've never tried that again. But have you ever tried to build something? Then you've got someone who knows what they're doing who knows what they're doing, who puts it together, and you see the success of it. Now, within the scriptures, I am not told to build God's church. I'm not told to be the master. But that is not me. Right here, I am told in scripture that it is him who will build the church, that the Lord Jesus will build the church, that he would build it. And as the early church walked in obedience to his word and submitting to his will, I read this in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And you'll notice in this Acts passage that the addition of the church came as there was a devotion to the Lord, as they devoted themselves to the Lord, as they devoted themselves to the creeds of the Lord's Prayer, of, that of fellowship, that of prayer, that of breaking of bread, that when that unity was present, the Lord added to that culture, added to that church, as many as were being saved. But it was the Lord adding to them. And as we referred to over the past several weeks, we have been placed as living stones by the master builder in order to make a spiritual house to offer up spiritual sacrifices to the glory of God the Father in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Now, in order to build an illustration, to borrow, should I say, in order to build, in order to borrow an illustration from my brother, Pastor Fritz, who is down in Melbourne. He is a carpenter and a builder by trade, and he shared regarding his job that his job as a builder is to take the blueprints, the design of the client, and turn that blueprint into a reality. And so he then transfers what's down here, what's from the mind of the designer, what's from the mind and the heart of the person who designed the blueprint, it says it's up to the builder to take that design and bring it into a reality. Jesus Christ is the master builder. Jesus Christ has the design within the heart of God, within God the Father, the design of what his ecclesia, of what his church is to look like. And as he looks at that, 
what he does then is take us and place us in the specific positions with the gifts that we have, with the personalities that we have, with the, uh, with, with the talents and all of those things that we are as individuals and places us within his ecclesia, within his church that fulfills his heart and his mind of the design that he originally intended. Because he's the one building it. And we have the privilege of playing a key role in that. And I think that's an amazing privilege that he's been granted to us. He is directly involved in each of our lives, building, building us into a, into a place of worship, into a place of sacrifice, into a place of honor to, of him, to glorify him. And, and we are told that this involvement is ongoing. It is, it is continual. One of my favorite Bible verses in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it or continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. Or in the NIV, it says, we'll bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And those three basic principles, of which I've preached about before, that God starts the work, but he doesn't leave the work alone. God continues that work, and he continues that work. He completes that work. And he continually does that, not only in us as individuals, but also in turn as the church. And as the church, a corporate basis of his people, we experience the, the power and the provision and, and the, the protection of God in all of those. It is within the ecclesia, it's within the gathering, that the continuing work of God takes place in each of our lives. It is, it is true fellowship with him and true fellowship that takes place with each other as well as we fellowship with him. And it's an area of like mindedness of people of one heart. It is, a, it is a realm of spiritual edification, of building up, a place of loving admonition where it can freely happen. What does it say in Proverbs? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And, and this is what takes place within the ecclesia. Well, this is what is supposed to take place within the ecclesia. If you recall last week, we touched on, only briefly, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, about not forsaking or not giving up, uh, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But the verses preceding verse 25 gives us the context as to why it is so important for us not to give up meeting together. Why it's so important for us to gather to hold each other accountable, to be invested into each other's lives, to bless each other with our friendship and with our fellowship. In verses 22 through to 24, we read this. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we, we profess, for he who promised is faithful. 
And verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Three, let us. Let us draw near to God. Let us hold unswervingly and let us consider how we may spur. See, we cannot receive the spurring on from one another if we are by ourselves and holding ourselves apart from each other. We cannot receive the stirring to unswervingly hold on to our profession of faith if we are never around our brothers and sisters to enable us to do so. And, and we cannot consider how we can spur each other on if we are never around each other to spur one another on. I remember giving this illustration, but I used to work on a campsite. And I have always noticed how when you have to do things like we worked with horses and we had chickens and we had ducks and we had various animals. And one of the, one of the uh, I guess you could say, one of the dirty jobs that we had to do was actually scoop horse poo with rakes and put them in a, in a wheelbarrow and empty out the horse paddocks. Very boring job, very smelly job, very tedious job, and it was continual. Week after week, probably every couple of days, had to do it again, do it again, do it again. Now, when you're by yourself, oh, it's boring. It is so boring. It can be hot, it can be sweaty, it can be smelly, flies all over the place. And Australian flies are the worst. But I remember doing this. But when you have somebody with you, spurring you on to get it done, encouraging you to complete it, it, does, it, it lightens the load. And this is what the body of Christ is designed to be. Even when you stand there, you stand there, you notice that each, each muscle, each part of your body helps you, helps you remain stable. Each part, of, there's not one thing that is more valued than the other. Each part of your body plays a part in enabling you to, to achieve or to accomplish those things. Okay? So, so too is what we are within the body of Christ. We are there to spur each other on, to hold unswervingly, and to encourage. Now, you can receive comfort from your non-Christian friends. I don't, please don't get me wrong. You can receive encouragement. You can receive blessing. You can, you can receive various things from your non-Christian friends. But for want of a better word, the support spiritually you can only get from the ecclesia. Because your friends who are not Christians are not spiritually minded. I mean, look, they can, they can, they can provide some comfort. They can provide limited support, yes. But ultimately, it doesn't really bother them whether you come to a Bible study or not, whether you go to a prayer meeting or not, whether you go to church or not. It doesn't bother them. It doesn't concern them because they're not spiritually minded. They're not of the same kingdom. And, 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 I, and I think it's great when they do. I think that's wonderful. But the spirit on is supposed to become within the body of Christ. If we're not receiving the correction from the scriptures or, or, or being held accountable with, with holiness in each of our lives from brothers and sisters within the body of Christ, we're not going to get it anywhere else. If, if we're going to 
close our ears to the Spirit of God within our lives, then sometimes God uses a brother or sister to share with us from the Scriptures how we should be walking in holiness. And, then that's, that's, and if we're not receiving that from the Scriptures, if we're not receiving that from those who we consider our friends, then maybe we need to question where we're at, even our own spiritual life, when our own spiritual walks. Okay, like I said, we might need to seriously consider where, even where we're at as a church. For the church is the realm of spiritual fellowship, of spiritual fellowship. 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 and verses 6 and 7 says this, verse 3. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies from all sin. In this passage, you'll notice that genuine fellowship with each other is there or is present because there is genuine fellowship with God. Just as there is fellowship with each other as we walk in the light, because God is in the light. And as, as information heavy as these several truths are, there are things that we need to pick up regarding us as the ecclesia, us as the church. So firstly, the church is the most precious assembly on earth since it was purchased with his own blood. That the church is an earthly expression of a heavenly reality and that the church is the only institution that the Lord has promised to build and to bless. And that within that institution, there is spiritual fellowship, there is spiritual accountability, and that there is spiritual growth. But with all of that, as information heavy as these three points are, the practicality as what these things look like lived out in each of our lives. And once again, we are all in different contexts. We are all in different situations. We have mothers and fathers. So we got parents of, of little children. We have grandparents of younger children. We have parents of older children. We have people who are singles. We have people who are married. We have people that are engaged. We have people that are studying for their exams. We have people that are sick. We have people that are healthy. We are all in different contexts. Just like there are different parts of a body, our body here at Grace Christian Church, there is a whole multitude of individuals that create this local body here as Grace Christian Church. But if you look at, and I want you to look at, these realities of who and what we are as the church. They are done so in order for us to know the involvement of the Lord in people's lives and in turn, your life. You need to understand, I need to understand that God is continually at work in our lives regardless of whether I think he is or is not. That God who is sovereign, that God who calls and cries out for us to be unified, that God who loves us unconditionally is continually molding and shaping and working with each of us to bring about in us 
an image that more resembles the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 speaks to this fact that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You and I are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. Not I'm saying walking around saying, yeah, yeah, I'm, I am the masterpiece. No, no, meaning that we are a work in progress. So too, so too, being the workmanship of God, that in the hands of the ultimate builder, of the master builder, of the ultimate craftsman, we are being shaped that work that he began and that he's continuing even now as his workmanship, we are being shaped into a piece of art that brings glory to his name and that promotes the sheer beauty and greatness of Jesus Christ. He is working. You, you may be going through struggles right now. You may be crying down asking, Lord, where are you? Lord, I don't understand. God, Please help me. God, I feel as though you're not listening or you're not hearing. Each of those things, each of those things might be a trial, might be a struggle, might be something you're going through that God is shaping you in or God is revealing to you and revealing to me that perhaps I need to repent of something that I have done that is preventing me from hearing him. Because regardless, the Lord involves himself with you and he involves himself with me and that as we yield to his fashioning as individuals then what happens is as we are fashioned to be more like Jesus as individuals we take shape as a body a body that looks more like heaven that promotes as the earthly expression of a heavenly reality the truth that God love and God's power is evident within his people that he is continually involved if, and that's why he's described in, in Revelation chapter 1 as him who walks among the seven golden lampstands the seven golden lampstands the lampstands represent the church and the Lord walks among them he walks among us. That is why the privilege of knowing that where two or three are gathered in his name, he is there in the midst. So that's, we, we need to know that we as the ecclesia, that he is involved with us. He is involved with us. The second thing, that prayerfully as you look at these things, that we are the ecclesia, that, that is the most precious thing to him because he purchased us with his own blood, that, that he is, that we are the, the expression, the earthly expression of a heavenly reality, that we are the institution that he has promised to build and to bless, not only to remind us of his involvement with each of our lives as individuals and then in turn corporately as a church, but also that we are not to be defined by labels, but rather by the person of Christ, that our identity is found within him. See, may our identifying factors, that may our identifying factors be similar to that of the disciples in the early church. Because when you read in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, that the religious leaders of the day saw, saw the apostles 
And they said, firstly, these things. They said they saw the courage of Peter and John in 4.13, and it says, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They looked at these guys and said, these guys are unschooled, these guys are ordinary. Unschooled and ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That was the identifying factor for these guys. Not that they were unschooled, not that they were ordinary, but by the fact that they had been with Jesus. Think about this. What For what would be, be known as? See, it's not the unschooled or ordinary adjectives that I'm concerned with. It is the fact that they had been with Jesus. I mean, look at what happened with Moses. Moses, when being in the presence of God, came down from the mount and his face shone with the glory of God. And, and you see this. You've seen this in people. You see the glory of God just, just flow out because they have spent time with him in his presence. Thus, not that we are identified or to be known as this, that, and the other, but rather the most important factor that I want to be remembered for or known by is that I was a lover of Jesus. And lastly, as the Lord involves himself with us and as we are identified as his, that we would experience and his power and his enablement and his direction that, that aligns our very beings, our very hearts with his that aligns our whole person with him. Or in other words, to experience a refreshing, a refreshing of our hearts, a refreshing of our souls. In Psalm 37.4, we are told, delight yourself also, or delight yourselves also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, the promise of Psalm 37.4, that that becomes real, not mean that we get what we want, but rather that his desires, the desires of his heart will become ours. So his desire for holiness, his desire for righteousness, his desire for mercy, his desire for compassion, his desires for biblical judgment, his desire for his kingdom eternal, that those desires of God's heart then become my desires that then I become desiring of holiness within my life, of righteousness within my family, of, of mercy for those who are in need of mercy, for compassion for those who are in need of compassion, for understanding and acceptance for those that are in need of understanding and acceptance, for judgment when there is time for judgment according to God's word and not my own wisdom, to have my affection set on things above for his kingdom eternal as opposed for that which is transient and which will pass away. That, that's, that that refreshing will come about, that that refreshing will come about as I come to understand from the scriptures who we are as individuals and who we are as the church. We have lost sight as who we are as the church because we have lost sight as of what it means to live in obedience to the Father's will. We have lost sight of what it means to, to hold close to him and prioritize him over all else. We have lost sight of that. We 
perhaps, perhaps knowing who we are and the position we hold to may help us to prioritize our lives differently, to prioritize our lives as the body of Christ, to prioritize our lives as the assembly of God and as the ecclesia of the Spirit, to help reprioritize our lives as the children of God as parents, to ha- perhaps reprioritize our lives as the ecclesia, as a husband and as a wife, or as children within a family, with as grandparents, as, as employees and as employers. Maybe, maybe the, the, the understanding of who we are as the church then enables us to know what we are to be doing as the church. So, that's been a lot, eh? With all of this information, with all of this, which I, I encourage you to listen to this again, not to, not to you know, you know, bombard you with information, but there's so much in this passage today. I would encourage you, I encourage you to listen to this again, and then I would like you to pray, just as I've been praying as well for myself, is to ask him to revive our hearts, to refresh our eyes, to refine our lives, to reinvigorate our souls with Jesus Christ. And that when he shows you what things needs to be dealt with in your life, it might be sin that you're holding on to. It might be an attitude that you're harboring against a brother or sister within the church. It might be a dissatisfaction with what's taking place in your life. It might be a disappointment that somebody has has granted to you or that you have been forcing upon yourself. Whatever it is that the Lord Jesus reveals to you, like ask him to show you. And if he reveals it to you, or no, not if, when he reveals it to you, that you and I would have the boldness and have the courage to say, yes, Lord, and repent. Because I guarantee you this, for a majority of us, it's something that we won't want to let go. It's going to be something, uh, it might be if it's a sin, which, I mean, sin, yeah, we like to harbor that. We like to hold on to that. But once he shows it to you, we need to do away with it, ask God to give us the strength and the courage to do so, and then move with him. Because in all honesty, with the way the world is going today, the Lord is coming back. And for us, as his people, we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. That when the Lord returns, will he find faith in the earth? Well, that that faith, I pray, will be found in each of your lives and in each of, well, each of, well, each, well I've got one, in my life too. So with that, I want to pray for you now. I want to pray for you now. I would encourage you to pray for me as well. But as we pray that we as the church would fulfill who we are because of what God has called us and designed us to be as the church, as individuals and corporately as a body. So I'm going to pray. Um, Please join me. Heavenly Father, as we stand before you now, we ask for forgiveness. We confess our own self-righteousness, our own self-reliance, our own selfishness, and ask, Father, that you, by your grace, would not only grant us forgiveness, 
but help us to walk in accordance with your heart and with your word and with your desire. I pray, Father, that you will help each of us to not only come to you humbly, um, that you might reveal to each of us if there's any sin, if there's any attitude, if there's anything we're harboring that is affecting our relationship with you, that you would reveal it to us and give us the courage and empower us by your spirit to do away with such things. We thank you that you are a loving and gracious God that has purchased us, that we as your church are the most precious institution in the world because you purchased us with your own blood, that we as your church are the earthly expression of the heavenly reality of your unity, of your sovereignty, and of your love, that we as your church are being built up by you, that we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works and to work, walk in those works that you've prepared for us. Father, we ask for your stirring now. May we not be content to go through the motions. May we not be content and to rely on our own strength. Father, may we only find our contentment and our satisfaction in you and in you alone. So we ask you to dismiss us now and ask for you to do an amazing work in Grace Christian Church. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much for that, brothers and sisters. It has been my honor to come and share with you this morning. And I would encourage you, as we've been discussing, uh, looking at soon, prayerfully soon. I know that next week we're going to be having the uh, marriage course, as John and Chris are going to be doing that. And we're having a few other tables out and things like this. But we're, we're aiming to get things underway. And, and thank you very much, Joyce, for following up stuff for the internet as well. So we're looking at getting things um, sorted out. So prayerfully in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be up and running. Um, I know you're getting sick of seeing me on your TV. I'm getting sick of seeing me on my TV. Am I really? Yeah, I am. I am. But God bless. Have a wonderful week. Um, we will have a Zoom fellowship time as well. I pray that, that you might have taken something away from this to encourage your heart. And that as you take that encouragement, may God build on that in order to, to draw us closer to him. Uh, but also that we might fulfill the design of being the church that he has called us to be. So God bless. Have a wonderful day. 